0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ladies of Kamikaze podcast, where in each episode, we tackle different aspects of popular culture, including gaming, comics, movies, and more. We talk about what works, what doesn't, and our vision of a more inclusive space for everyone. In this episode, Valerie is joined by our friends, Jeanette and Fuebe, to talk about Lin-Manuel Miranda and his popular musical, Hamilton, now that it is available on Disney+ on with the podcast.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Ladies of Kamikaze podcast. This is it, the one that you've been waiting for, the Hamilton podcast. That's right, everyone. We couldn't help ourselves, and we are going to discuss Hamilton. But thankfully, I will not be here talking about it alone. I have um, two friends of the podcast joining me. First, we have Fuebe.
2: Hi. So this is Fuebe. I am uh, a frequenter. Is that a word? We'll use it. Yeah, sure. Uh, On the uh, Ladies of Kamikaze podcast. And uh, I am a Boston area writer and community organizer. And uh, I have so many opinions, so many opinions about
1: theater and dance and film. So I'm ready to get in this. All right. And then uh, for the first time ever on the podcast, joining us, we have Jeanette.
0: Hello. Yes, I'm Jeanette. I am the official, I guess, expert of Lin-Manuel Miranda, (laughs) (laughs) my uh, fellow Boricua, Um, and I have been obsessed with his work since about 2009. Um, So I'm excited to talk about Hamilton um, and what all of this means to us now. That's awesome. Well, Since you've let us know that you are our expert,
1: um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, can you um, do you mind like taking a couple minutes to sort of tell us a little bit about him and sort of like his journey from his career, his background to Hamilton? Are we going to get sure. there a little bit?
0: Yeah. Um, so Lin-Manuel, um, he is a New Yorican. Um, His dad was an immigrant. Um, he came from Puerto Rico to study here and ended up raising a family and staying here. Um, Lin grew up being obsessed with musicals and art and singing, and he would create his own shows. He was a total geek. And when he was in college, he started writing a musical called In the Heights. And with a friend that he actually met at college, they ended up producing this. It went off Broadway first, then it went on Broadway in 2008, stayed there until 2011. And on vacation from in the Heights, he decided to read the biggest book he could find. And he picked up Alexander Hamilton's biography. As he was reading this, he was becoming obsessed with the story. And he kept saying, like, oh, my God, this is the story of my dad. My dad, who came from the Caribbean to the United States to make a better life for himself and ended up, you know, getting into politics as well and you know, Alexander Hamilton also came from an island in the Caribbean, where he was very impoverished and came to the U.S. and made a name for himself. Um, so as he was reading this, he he kept saying he kept seeing his dad, but he also kept seeing hip hop. So like hip hop kept like jumping out of the pages for him. Um, so he kept, started writing, and he finally ended up. It took him years to write Hamilton. Um, it took him, I think, a year or two to write My Shot, which is insane. And then he finally got it to where it premiered in 2018, or 2015, and we got ourselves some Hamilton.
1: So I just want to back up and, and state, which might have sounded obvious, but I just want to remind myself of how little I've done with my life. So he <laughs> wrote this while he was an undergrad. Yes. He wrote in the Heights. He yeah. wrote while he was an undergrad. Yes, yes. So- yeah.
0: He, he started it. Do you it, know yeah. what he went to school for? Oh, actually, I don't. He went to Rutgers uh, oh, really? in Jersey. Oh. Yeah. Um, but I can't remember what he studied. The
2: only reason I ask that is because sometimes your project, uh, when you're in school, is this type of thing, which would mm-hmm. not diminish it, but it would make it kind of interesting to see, like, you know, how
0: that, you know, whether this was born even earlier than we expect. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if this came from like a a school project or if it just came from him. I I have a feeling that it probably came from him just wanting to create because he's always said that he's always wanted to be in theater, but there were only very few roles that he could star in. Uh, And he couldn't be in West Side Story because he doesn't know how to do ballet. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, if I'm going to get to Broadway and perform, I'm going to have to write my own things. And I think Mm. that's where In the Heights came in because it's very, again, it's another musical about um, performed with a majority cast of Black and Brown people. And um, it does tell the story of immigrants and their families Mm. and their communities. Right, so- So, In the Heights is about Washington Heights? Yes. So, it's like a three-day span during the 4th of July weekend, Um, and it's all in the neighborhood of Washington Heights in New York. Um, So, it's a predominantly Dominican-American community, and it talks about gentrification and interracial Mm. relationships and family and home and what is home for immigrants and where is that? It's so beautiful. It's, yeah, I highly recommend
1: Right, and to be fair, so there's a certain pedigree here because In the Heights did receive a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. I believe it got, I don't know how many awards. Jeanette, do you you
0: know? It it got a lot of Tonys. It got the Tony for Best Musical. Wow. I think like their first year on Broadway. Um, It was a huge success. And a lot of the actors that were in In the Heights, you'll see them in Hamilton. So Chris Jackson... Anthony Ramos, they were all um, kind of graduated on to Hamilton. So he brought um, Thomas Kale, which was the director. Um, he worked a lot with the same people from um, In the Heights with Hamilton. Mm.
1: Sadly, In the Heights is not available to watch just no. yet. No. <laughs> but I will say this, if, you, if anyone sort of has the mind to or hasn't already, even if you want to see like the teeniest, tiniest bit of In the Heights, the Tony performance... Yeah. It's available on YouTube, and you will be able to see a bunch of the original cast, including those familiar faces that Jeanette mm-hmm. just mentioned. And the babiest faces. Oh, <laughs> no,
0: they were so young. <laughs> <laughs> and he had really short hair. Lin, like, a lot of people now recognize him with his long Hamilton hair, but he had super short hair mm. in that. He's such a baby. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So
1: you spoke really well as to sort of like what In the Heights is about. And now I kind of wanted to sort of switch gears a little bit. We're going to focus a little bit more on Hamilton. Um, I'm sure In the Heights and sort of Lin-Manuel's background is going to come up a little bit more because, you know, he didn't write it in a bubble. But what I wanted to ask you guys is sort of like your start off question is the sort of like like, I don't know, imagine you were speaking to somebody who didn't know a lot about Hamilton or didn't know a lot about musicals or music in general. And they said to you, so like, what's the big deal with Hamilton? Why should I care? What makes it special? Mm -hmm. And, like, why is everybody losing their mind? Like, why did Disney pay, like, $67 (laughs) million? And I'm not making up that number. I think that's actually pretty close. Wow. Yeah. To get it on Disney+. Plus.
0: So, for me, the reason why Hamilton is so successful and why I'm so obsessed with it, aside from it just being a genius piece of work, it's super captivating throughout Mm. the entire story.
1: And Mm. it's the
0: songs and it's the performances and it's a performances from the characters. The actors really make Hamilton for me. Mm. And Lin-Manuel once said, when he was actually receiving the Tony, he said, I don't know about God, but I believe in Chris Jackson. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And Chris Jackson plays George Washington in Hamilton, so. Mm -hmm. And honestly, same. Like, yes, I, I agree mm. with that statement. When it comes to Chris Jackson, when it comes to Renee Elise Goldsberry, David Diggs, <gasps> Leslie Odom Jr., I mean, these powerhouses make Hamilton magic. Mm. You can't take your eyes off of them. And it's, it's just so smart and fun and the mm. songs are so addictive. But for me, at the end of the day, what makes Hamilton is the actors.
1: Yeah, yeah. I totally I mean,
0: get
2: that.
1: One of the only things I have to contribute to this conversation is like a little, this is like my, my sort of knowledge and history of, of Broadway. And, you know, it's not uncommon um, in the past, like 10, 15 years for us to see a lot of stunt casting, right? Like you put somebody famous mm-hmm. in a show and shows can suffer from that, right? Like when the cast yeah. isn't amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason why it takes really talented people to do really great work justice. Mm. yeah right and and i will say that as i as i watched this and like when you listen to the soundtrack right you're not seeing the performances the same way you're not getting those close-ups of their mm-hmm. their faces there is not a single person in this cast with which one exception which i will say and everyone will get mad at me <laughs> but i will i'm gonna hold off to the end where everybody is not if not a triple threat like a quadruple threat mm. yeah they are, and I say quadruple because I'm counting rapping as something differently, like than singing. A skill, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, they're dancing, they're acting, they're singing, and they're rapping.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, And the only thing is, I have to say is, and and to his credit, he doesn't write anything he can't do. Lin Manuel Miranda is not a vocalist. Nope.
0: Bless his heart. <laughs> like,
1: he will, yeah. He will <laughs> never like go down in history as the greatest singer, but he writes so well for his capabilities mm. yeah that it kind of doesn't matter right and yeah. he writes
0: really well for others capabilities because mm-hmm. he he knew chris jackson before so mm. when he was writing george washington he was envisioning chris jackson he's like i know the notes that he can pull off so mm. he made it specific for like he wanted him to shine he wanted other people to shine when it came to Renee Goldsberry. The reason why she got casted as Angelica was because he told his wife she was the only actress that came in and she didn't get consumed with the rap.
1: She was able to,
0: like, get past it, you know? It didn't, like, take away from what she was doing. An insane powerhouse, that woman. Mm. So So he knows how to cast.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I I would add to all of this, too, that it's, it's interesting because that's some of the critique I've read about it is specific to Lin-Manuel and his his voice. But yeah. I never even thought about that. And I think part of the reason that it didn't strike me as something to, to consider or that was a failing of the show or anything like that is because, to me, he's in... So I come... My uh, theater... The big thing in my life around theater was Rent. Mm. And... To me, I can see Rent all through this show. Like, as I watched Hamilton, I was like, that, 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 that. And one of the big pieces of Rent is the sort of squeaky, high voice of the character Mark, who is one of the two sort of lead, who leads you into the show. There's many other characters. But Mark's voice is, hi, hi, I'm Mark. That's kind of how he talks. And that's part of like, he's had, he's like New York and he's Jewish and he's got this whole thing around that, I, that identity that is coming through and how he's talking. And to me, the Hamilton character is like patterned right on top of that. So mm-hmm. I had no expectation of him being like any of the other folks here in terms of their, their vocal prowess, so to speak. And that's, I find it really interesting too, that it, I think Rent sort of permitted that in a way that I hadn't seen in any theater before that. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: and and so my third and my theater nerd is coming out. So, Lin Manuel Miranda actually was involved in a production of Tick Tick Boom, which is the ah, other Jonathan Larson show. Yes. So the influence is there. I think you kind of nailed it. Like I can't argue against that in any yeah. way because there's precedent there. And also, yeah. um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting her name. Who plays Angelica?
0: Renee uh, Elise Goldsberry.
1: Yes, she played Mimi yeah. um, Broadway.
2: Yeah, I thought I recognized movie. her.
1: Yeah, she wasn't she wasn't the original Mimi, but in my opinion, I think some of her Mimi choices are better. Um, <laughs> but if you once again, if you're a big like Broadway nerd, there don't bother with the rent movie. There no, is a, yes. a filmed there is a filmed version of the Broadway show with her as Mimi and just like Chef's Kiss. She's great.
2: Like you have spread <laughs> a light. Because I watched that in advance for this talk, this podcast to get myself back into rent, because to me, Hamilton is so much like rent. And I was like, huh, that woman looks so familiar. (laughs) That's because... And and I am going to say, too,
1: and and another interesting correlation, once again, sort of with your rent thing is, so those of us who were young when rent came out, like I was a teenager, the way that rent reverberated around the youth, right, so to speak, is very much like what we're seeing now with Hamilton. Yeah, and I I can't make a correlation for another show that has done that. No, in the same way. Mm-hmm. No.
2: Yeah, and like I was also noting um, in terms of um, this, uh, I don't know their names as well either. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. He mm-hmm. yeah. he is patterned after um, Benny. Ca- <laughs> his character, like the way that he moves his mouth, the way that his
1: oh my god, tea color, he's the he, T-Diggs <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
2: So, like, th- those two in particular, nobody else really stood out to me as, as like, tracking so closely, but mm-hmm. Lin-Manuel and Leslie Odom Jr., both are, like, they track so closely to that show. Um, and not that this is not different, because it totally is, but it's mm-hmm. really been beautiful for me to watch that show get reborn, or elements mm-hmm. of that get reborn in this new form that's way more um, cohesive
0: and, um, you know, modern in a way. Yeah. And it makes sense because Lynn has said how much he loved Rent and how much it's influenced his work. So yeah. it makes total sense that you're seeing those parallels.
1: Right. And Rent is based on, 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 on a sort of older story as well. Yes. La Boheme or
0: something like
1: that? Yep. No, that's exactly what it is. Which I've never so, seen. right. So if you're familiar with La Boheme as an opera, the themes, the musical themes are threaded throughout the show. Right. Mm-hmm. In Hamilton, he's not threading opera through the show. What is he threading now? Like, what, I mean, ladies, what is he threading now through the
2: show? <laughs> so much. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of hip hop, there's a lot of rap, there's a lot of, um, there's also just a lot of musical theater, um, you know, chops that I recognize from other shows as well. That mm-hmm. is like really uh, it's just fun. It's fun to see it reconfigured um, and put together in a, in a real synergy. To, which is, I think, to answer the question that you asked, like, why would people care about this? It, it, is, a, it is a bomb, right? It's, it's a synergistic uh, collection of so many different things, including movies, including television. Mm. Like, the rewind mm-hmm. is, like, straight out of, you know, how many... I was, I was surprised there wasn't quicksand in this, because he's hitting so many, like, 80s and 90s strokes, but pulling them into that they're fresh and Thank interesting, you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they tell the story that has nothing to do with any of those other pieces, not directly anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he he managed to somehow make hip hop and rap, because this is not, I'm, for me, this isn't like authentic, real, where you're going to get hip hop and rap from artists and, that mm-hmm. have come before him. Like This is like rap and hip hop for musical theater. Yeah, so it's not like oh, I'm, this. I'm is- gonna put it out there. <laughs> Would you say it's accessible
1: rap for those of us who maybe don't know as much no, about it?
0: I wouldn't say that necessarily. Really, it's still no. very difficult. Like, it's not like easy rapping for the regular mm-hmm. Joe. There's still, I mean, there's obviously like great technique. Um, yeah, like you need to to know what you're doing, but yeah, he found a way to make it jazzier? Yeah. <laughs> <sense>? no, it's, <laughs> like, it's, very,
1: it's very musical. Yes. I, yeah. yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. He he, I, he, yeah. he made it a show tune. He made rap a show tune. <laughs> yeah. That's a great way of putting that. And
2: I think it's also, I think people, rap shows up in so many different places and people don't call it that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you turn on the country music station right now, there is so much rap in country, right? <laughs> and it sounds a lot like, you know, the, the way that it's, it's sort of stretch. Sounds a lot like the the rap that's in this show to me personally, because it's like hmm. you can kind of get in and out of it quickly. Mm-hmm. Versus like if you're listening to you know I don't know the Fugees or you're listening to mm-hmm. Digital Planets, like you're in there for a while. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. <laughs> you're not leaving that song easily <laughs> because it, it's it's concise, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas this is like stretch. Um, and I think I think a lot of people have a lot more rap in their lives than they have realized because no one is calling it that necessarily in these other spaces. Hmm. there's also like um what do they call it um walking or I don't know there's a folk version of it too like Pete Seeger and them they were doing versions of this there's like a this is James Taylor song where he's like rapping about a traffic jam so there's this has already existed mm-hmm. it wasn't uh-huh. called that but I think these things are like within the realm so I have heard people say that this is like a, an easy in but I think mm-hmm. people if they want to go into listening to rap will be shocked when they get out of this show yeah. and like go and up an album and they'll be like, what is this? Yeah. You know, because <laughs> at, at this point we're in like mumble rap and we're in like the stuff that's unnamed that's coming out of Georgia and, you know, coming out of some other of the Southern states and that doesn't even have a phrase for it yet. You know? So I think people would, would not do well to use this personally. I don't think people should use this as a stepladder necessarily uh, unless they uh-huh. really want to go there.
1: So since we're sort of talking about, like, outside influences, right, that he's bringing into the show, mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of talk about, like, so what's what's the point of doing that when you're telling the story of something that happened 200 years ago? What is so interesting about this idea of using modern storytelling methods to tell the story that, you know, touches on the foundation of our, like, it is not the full story of the foundation of our country. It is a part of the story of the, you know founding fathers for the united states of america like why do that what kind of messages like are you personally getting from those choices and like i guess my question is is the world too has changed so much Mm -hmm. from like 2015 when it opened Mm -hmm. um to 2020 now so like and i realize this is a very loaded question because we're piling all the stuff on top of it but like has that changed to you also in the past five years? Like mm. maybe you listened to the soundtrack five years ago versus seeing it now when it was written, right? Um it was during the Obama administration. It was a very different re- like world that we're living in. Mm-hmm. Mm. For me,
2: the quest- that's a question outside of the world of art. Um, mm. Like in my experience as a writer, you don't really have a lot of choice about these things. Mm-hmm. the art shows up the way it shows up. And I think that sometimes it's, it's actually hard to answer that question because it, it's it's kind of tuned to a different key of the experience of creating something. And I I, I don't know how Lin-Manuel uh, speaks to this, but I'm often shocked by things that show up in my work because I was not inviting them. Really? Yeah. So it isn't so much that you are planning it, I think, uh, as it is, like, I, Jeanette, you said this earlier, like how, like, just kept showing up. Like, I've had that experience working on the books that I have written. Stuff shows up. Like, a friend's refrigerator shows up in my book. I don't <laughs> need that refrigerator, you know, but it's there. So there's, there is a, how would you say it? There, there's an element to it that is you have to be open to surprise uh, and, and uh, willing to sort of grapple with what you know and what you don't know to create something like this. Uh, and it just so happens that it it's hitting at a relevant time and, like,
0: shooting off, you know? Not, uh, would yeah. you... <laughs> how would you phrase some of that? Yeah, well, for me... So, yeah, so this came out in 2015. Obama was still president. But I think a lot of the themes that I'm getting for it now are still similar to back then, only in the sense that we were still dr- dealing with, like, I remember Dreamers was a huge thing that came out um, during that time. So the the part where he's like, you know, immigrants, we get the job done. Like that was like a huge thing, even back then. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it means a little bit more now because of the current state of things. But I think one of the main themes of this show is revolution. And that can take Mm -hmm. many different forms and shapes depending on the year. So whereas revolution looked very different then, because we were still dealing with like police brutality back then, like that that like it police brutality, immigration, like these didn't just like appear out of thin air in 2016. Mm -hmm. They became worsened, they became more visible, but they still existed. Mm -hmm. And if any I guess the way that I see it, you know, looking at how it relates to the world now. I, th- I hope that people, when they watch this, they see that the British are Trump, that mm. Black Lives Matter activists and dreamers are patriots, and we're currently in a fight with an oppressive regime who's trying to take away our rights. And by our rights, I will say the rights of immigrants, the rights of Black mm. people, trans people, women. Like, this is our shot. You know, mm. like, see the 2020 uh, election as our battle in Yorktown, and we cannot <laughs> give up our shot here, guys. Like mm. you know, mm. That's actually,
1: that's really powerful, what you no just bad. said. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like feeling a little emotional here, because uh. what you're essentially saying is, once again, by creating a show that uses modern language, that... Mm-hmm is filled with a cast that is a more realistic picture of our world, right, yeah. that we live in. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like saying, we've been here before. Mm-hmm. We had mm-hmm. a revolution before. We've done this and we did this. And now I'm telling you this story and I'm putting you in it so you can see yourself mm-hmm. reflected in the history of this revolution. Hmm. Yeah. And, like, passing the baton on. That's a really, Mm. that's a really interesting, like, that's, that's, that's a new way of looking at it for me. Thank you, Jeanette. Yeah. No, I mean, that's really, that's really powerful, right? Like, it's inserting yourself into a story that maybe you weren't in. Yeah. And that's true for a lot of people. Mm -hmm.
2: I also look at it, I mean, there's a couple of things happening there about the visual effects, right? Mm -hmm. There is the insertion, but the people were already doing that. I mean, there's, there's already an existing lie about what people are up to and, and a cohesiveness mm. that didn't never that never existed, right? Like, if you read history books, uh, uh, particularly ones who are oriented towards the voices of people, like Dilipore's These Truths, you will see that people were fighting the same fights that we have now and the same yeah. styles of voices were there before, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. But the way that it's been consolidated, ha- you know, is to sort of obscure some of what has happened or a lot of what has happened. So I, I think it, it's not, it's, it, yes, it is putting brown people in those positions, but brown people have always been in those positions. Yeah. So I experience it as a reclaiming, not as a um, oh. as a first time or a gifting. Mm-hmm. Like these kinds of things have been happening. You know, there's a long history of black theater in the US. I can speak less about other cultural groups, but I, I've been privy to, and I've been the recipient of so much of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I look at this show as, like one step along a long continuum of people. And there's there is um, there's spirituals in this show, there's gospel pieces in it. Mm-hmm. There's all of these things that are, and this is sort of also a critique of it, right? Like yeah. also growing up in the 80s and 90s in New Jersey, I watched Eminem, the Beastie Boys, you know, now Macklemore, all of these people, these white folks and pale-skinned people who are able to access rap and hip hop similar to Lin-Manuel mm-hmm. and take it out and put it in a different space and other folks are willing to partake in it. Yeah. So I think both things are happening. He's like, I think uplifting what has already existed, but there's also a similar dynamic mm-hmm. that's happening where like, here is this pale skin person right. who is a person of color in this country, particularly, and like... Who then has access to do this and make this amazing thing, mm-hmm. while other people do not have that access? Right. And it did not, it didn't escape me how many pale brown skinned people are in this show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I am like a medium to dark black person, and when you come up in that, you know, I just I, as I've come up in this particular identity with this particular skin set, I am hyper aware. Yeah. So when folks were like, oh, this is a black and brown show, I looked at it and I was like, uh-huh. It's,
0: it's a little beige. It's a little
2: beige. <laughs> it's a little beige. It's a little beige. And like, I, but I know that that is mind blowing to some folks
0: mm-hmm. or
2: actually a lot of people, right? Because theater has looked the way it's looked in the, in the bigger spaces, yes. like the big shows. But for me, I'm like, uh-huh. You know, right. and I think these people are amazing. Like I have nothing against these mm-hmm. folks, but I'm, I know. That Leslie Odom Jr., who is about my skin tone, is in a role where he is either gray morality or sort of a bad guy, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And Lin Manuel is in a role where he is the hero, even though he himself is gray morality. Mm-hmm. And that that actually tracks also with Rent to go back to that show. Mm-hmm. Like the bad guy Benny is the brownest person on that cast. Yeah, you know. So uh, it, these things are happening uh, like at the same like like. I, time is being bent in a way.
0: Mm-hmm. These things are all happening at the same time. Like, people question, like, would this have been successful if Lynn manuel Miranda was Leslie Odom Jr.? Like, yeah. would yeah, people have gone to see it? Would they have had the hype? Would they have been excited if they were like, oh, you know, Black guy created this and it's all Black people? And
1: I mean, we've been there. there you could there's a you, there's a lot of Broadway shows. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. right, that we could talk about that had, you know, that have like are written by, you know, people of color for people of color to perform. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And Foime brings up a really good point. Like none of them have hit the the level that Mm -hmm. Hamilton has. Yeah. And there are a lot of, I mean, a lot of these shows are phenomenal.
0: Yeah. There is an exception. The noise funk from the 90s
1: Oh, was oh, it Lover"?
0: So bring in, that, bring in yeah. the bringing the funk. Yeah, that was huge. I that was I me. never yes. saw it. It was. I was. I. I probably was still in Puerto Rico. I think at that time. Uh, but it was. I. I do remember. I have people in my life who have mentioned that and have talked and raved yeah. about it. Yeah. Like that was in the nineties. Like yeah. what happened yeah. from the '90s to 2015 <laughs> that I can't really think of something that has had this type of mainstream phenomenon.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's true, and totally. and you know, and like any other, this is this is a weird pet peeve of mine. And any time that we have a Broadway show or a movie or whatever that supposedly take, like supposedly about like a real person, mm. right. I'm always like, no, it's about the legend of that person. Or no, it's about, like, the yeah. mythology around that person. Mm-hmm. Like, please, please, parents, don't use this to, like, teach your kids history. Like- <laughs>
0: yeah. This is not a documentary. This is not a no. documentary.
1: <laughs> for, for all of the little tidbits that he puts in there about revolutionary, like, war history, the Revolutionary War was actually, as all wars are, right? very complicated <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yes like, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't really just like call it good british bad like <laughs>
0: right. it was a bunch of white oh guys God. who wanted power and money mm-hmm. and not have to pay taxes to another white guy so it wasn't Thank about you, the <laughs> <franchise>. <laughs> it wasn't about slavery it wasn't about the little guy yep even yeah. hamilton hamilton was somebody that came from nothing he almost died in the Caribbean because he was so poor and didn't have much, like, opportunities. And he gets to a, a certain level of power and status and he becomes a one percenter. He basically created mm. Wall Street. Yep. Like, if Hamilton mm. were alive today, we would be protesting him.
1: <laughs> yes, Jeanette. Thank you.
0: So it's, oh, my God.
1: <laughs>
2: Yeah. Like, I also... Want to, like, I'm glad that you mentioned Wall Street because I don't know if this is intentional, but my experience of um, Occupy Mm -hmm. here in Boston um, was the first time that I had seen this um, human microphone, which is when a person speaks and because they're not, they don't mic, this. you know, it's protest. So it's not being mic Everyone will say what they said so that it gets out to the whole crowd. So it's the whole crowd is saying the same thing to mic whatever the speaker is saying and they use that in this show and I didn't notice it at first but the the ensemble and the dancers are operating often as the human microphone which comes out of activism Mm -hmm. which I thought was really fascinating and powerful and I I haven't heard anyone I haven't read anything about it to see if it's like was
1: intentional so could could you tell us a little bit more about how that happens like what like is there a scene or an example that you could?
2: It's happening in the background. So a lot of times someone will say, um, so like, to the bride. You know, they say, to the bride, to the bride. And they echo mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. that section in that song, when um, she's singing about, uh, I think it's the character Angelica is singing. Uh, it's actually the rewind of her thinking about getting her sister in the position to marry Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And during the course of that song, people are saying the words that she's saying and, like, miking it for her. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's actually super subtle. When I went back to the, the movie version of this um, and watched a couple of scenes, I realized that they were doing this a lot. Um, and it's not always loud, but there's often somebody who is reverberating what one person has said.
0: Huh. I, I saw it, but it didn't click to me that it's similar to that. So that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, now I'm going to go back and, like, think about that as I as I listen for like listen for it but since we're also talking about sort of like what's going on in the background I want to take a Mm -hmm. little bit of time to talk about so we've talked about like sort of the music and the you know action that the main um cast is doing can we talk a little bit about how dance is used in this show because it's a very minimal set Mm
0: -hmm. right
1: it's like Mm -hmm. it looks like um I don't know like an 18th century warehouse with a rotating platform rotates in different right. It's not a platform. Mm -hmm. It's it's literally just a rotating like two two circles that rotate (laughs) in the middle of the stage. And and we could talk a little too about the costumes because I laughed the first time I saw it because I was like, oh it's a bunch of like eighteenth century people running around in their underwear. But (laughs) love that but they're not really running around and there's a there's a purpose to that but like let's talk a little bit about how like dance and and sort of the background is used in the show because i think that's also like kind of new and not new
2: yeah so i went back in time in my life to look at rent again bring it up again um because when i saw the stage for hamilton i was like oh this is the rent stage um (laughs) it's just a wooden version of it and rent it's metal yeah. I, so I saw Rent 7 times, y'all, or 5 times. So this is why it's so like burned into my brain. Um,
1: I will never knock you for talking about Rent. <laughs> like I was I was so obsessed with it that like it, I think I think I've damaged my family.
2: <laughs> um, so yeah, the so I went back cuz I was like I wonder if the dance scenes tracks and so many other things track. The answer is no. They do not. In Hamilton, the dancing is endless. And that is what's so unique about it in Rent like a normal play. The, there's a little bit of dancing but it's like the it's like the spotlight like zooms in on it you know mm. and and then it's over whereas similar to the like human mic slash you know um, reverberation elements of the voicing the dance is constantly going to be the set and it's all different kinds of dance i I saw that you shared with us an article about ballet and I, I considered that but I think it's more like, it's more like, it's just, they just don't turn it off uh, than it is like um, a formal, like going to see a ballet, which is usually like two or three pieces, but they're discreet and this is not discreet. Yeah. And they're always like the, the dance cast isn't, it's fascinating. I think also let's say, and interrupting myself, the dance cast and the regular cast interact in ways that often doesn't happen in, in my experience of theater. So sometimes the dance cast is just them, you know, and they're like in the background, they're breaking, they're, you know, they're positioning themselves, they're, you know, they're, they're being sort of the, the emotions of people. And sometimes the full cast is in there. So the full cast then becomes part of the dance cast and they fade into the background or they come across the scene really in funny ways. Um, there's all sorts of really fascinating things happening. It is not hip hop. I mean, the majority of the dance I think is as what you see in conventional theater if you see dance. But there's enough posturing and like shoulder movement that's going on in all the actors that it kind of gives the impression that they're doing like a long scale like hip hop dance routine in the background of the show. But in reality, it is all sorts of things, um, including uh, like praise music style, like in being in a church. The people who are in the choir who are like rocking back and forth, like that's happening too. Mm -hmm. So it's really fascinating how many different kinds of dance is sort of squeezed in to this and how long it went. And most people must be tired.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's actually a a great, a great point. So right. When we're talking about about different kinds of musicals, there are the type of musical that there's talking, 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 and then all of a sudden somebody has an emotion and they start to sing. And when that emotion starts to get even bigger, they start to dance. Mm-hmm. But then we have yep. this other kind of musical, which is what's called like a sung-through. Oh, so I am going to say that, with the exception of like a couple spoken lines, Hamilton is sung-through. Like mm. another example would be like Phantom of the Opera. Like it's like an opera, but it's not really an opera. Mm. And and I'm and and so when you say that the dancing doesn't stop, it's mirroring the music and the action on the stage in such a great, like, you know what I mean? Like Jeanette earlier, you were saying the show is like a powerhouse mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the energy keeps going. Yeah. So much of that is, is aided by the dancing, mm-hmm. but also too, like one of my favorite things that the dancing they do is, from, I think you mentioned this, is that they're, they are, they're enhancing the set. Yeah, They're enhancing the background. Yeah. They're creating feeling and things for the actors to, bounce off from, right? So like with the Skylar sisters, like, you know, the first scene where they're coming out in the city, like, if you look, they're background dancers, and like, one's walking around like a fancy lady in the city, and another one has a (laughs) game, and he's like an old guy walking by. Like, but that little tiny hint is like, okay, you're outside now, we've switched places. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's also really um, fascinating to see how many different ways that they're doing it. Like, Sometimes all the dancers are out, sometimes only a couple of them are out, you know, and they're the way that they're expressing sort of like catches on the other dancers as well. And I found it also really interesting how they they moved um, the the soldiers marching when they do the countdown before a duel. That itself is a dance, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're they are moving their bodies on that beautiful rotating stage. And it seems like they're, you know, they're just marching or, you know, they're in a soldier you know, body style, but it it functions as dance. Mm -hmm. And I I think that was pretty, that's really brilliant. Um, And I was a huge fan of the moving stage. I've never seen a moving stage do so well. Um, I came up in theater in college. And so I spent a lot of time um, painting the backs of sets and seeing people fight with the motor of moving stages. So I have a lot of respect for people who can get them to work. Uh, and I was really fascinated about how they were managing time going forward. Sometimes the stage goes forward, goes around in a you know a counterclockwise, and sometimes it goes clockwise, and that, those mean different things.
0: Yeah, and it's for the women. They had these long dresses, so like, and they weren't touching the floor. But I still can't imagine like the fear of getting caught. <laughs> and and you don't see that fear. It's just elegance and. Mm. It's so powerful, the way that they move around that stage.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And there's so many of them sometimes, Mm -hmm. too, which is,
2: like, you know, fascinating. I mean, this is sort of the sad part of seeing it on a film versus live, right? Mm -hmm. Live, um, I actually read one of the actors mentioning this. There's so many little mistakes and things that you don't get to, you know, when you're performing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that makes the performance. It makes everyone different. So I can imagine, like, how funny some of this stuff must be to watch it live how people's bodies are moving in a way that their minds haven't caught up to yet because they're, they've done it so many times and they're used to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I really sort of miss that element, looking, looking at it being, you know, taped.
1: Right. Or, like, after somebody's been in a role for a while and they start to get really comfortable with it, mm-hmm. right, the additional mm-hmm. nuances that can mm-hmm. come to their performance. Because what I don't know is is when, like, how far into the run did they film this?
2: Mm, I think it was pretty er- early if I read it right. Some of it, I think it's both, There, there's more than one filmed version of it that they put together. Yeah, I know that ah. with
0: this one, it wasn't, some time had passed because um, Jonathan Groff, who plays the king, who's incredible, <laughs> he was actually not playing the king at this time, but because they were going to film it, he came back because he was part of the original cast. So I, I, I don't know if this was like super, I mean, pretty much the entire the rest of the cast was still original, but this was probably maybe like a year or so after. That's what I read about it as well.
2: And yeah, that character too, talk about movement, oh right? They could not have come up with the white. <laughs> 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 you know, just the way that he, but I also worried about it, right? Because there's also a, like, there's an evil queer undertone to some of it, I at least I felt that is a problem in Disney mm-hmm. and a problem in you know a, a lot of our culture that we consume is that the, the person who is the bad one often is also effeminate, particularly if they're mm-hmm. male. And I, so I was a little concerned about that character falling too much into that trope, mm-hmm. and at the same time, he was like a weird combination of like Elton John like Audrey the Second from Little Shop of Horrors and like Jim Carrey all smashed together. Yeah. <laughs> and like one weird creature. Um, and to, yeah. to
1: give to give credit where credit is due, he so that costume that he's wearing is actually a reproduction of a real thing that King George wore. Ah. So yeah. so in that aspect that's pretty that's pretty spot on there's a lot of hilarious stuff online about the reason that he's walking the way that he did or developed the walk that he did was because oh. the first version of the crown that they made weighed like 15 pounds. Oh. And he was actually oh, worried wow. about falling down. <laughs> and so he developed this walk, but obviously, right. It worked. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Cause I mean, maybe, maybe that's why all Kings in history, maybe they all walked funny. Maybe that's like some sort of accurate thing that he just yeah. fell upon. But I also have to put it out there, which entertains me to no end, is that, so, what's his name? Jonathan Groff, who plays the king. You said Disney. He is in Frozen.
0: Oh, yeah. He's the, what's? He's a, Chris, Ben? Kristoff?
1: Kristoff, yes. As the Disney nerd, you think I would remember, but yes. So, um, in some ways, he is a Disney prince. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's funny! And he's yeah, he also, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he is openly gay.
0: Yes. Oh, okay. I did not know about this person. I'm learning right now. Oh, he's he's incredible. He started in Spring Awakening, I believe, and he's another powerhouse. I yeah. mean, Jonathan Groff is a star,
1: and mm. he was
0: he was on Glee for a minute. Um, he had like a guest starring role, I think, for a while. Um, so he was. He has an HBO show as well. So he's been around. He's he's really talented. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, proving
1: there is not an untalented person on this cast.
0: No, <laughs> yeah. definitely not. Like the smallest was, of roles, and you're like, oh my god, this person is incredible. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I was really impressed with the this the weird like I guess it kind of goes back to the earlier question of like why would you watch this show.
0: Mm-hmm. And there
2: are so many odd little things that happen. Like, I had no, I did not anticipate that guy. <laughs> so when he showed up, I was like, well, what is going on here, you well, know? I didn't. And, like, the way,
1: yeah. that's I didn't anticipate that he was going to be so threatening. Mm. Mm. Like, it comes off, I mean, the lyrics are threatening. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. But, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the tune is so fanciful and fun, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I actually went and I cause it was driving
2: me crazy the song that he's singing. I know that tune. Um, I still haven't figured it out. The closest I got is Rocket Man, um, Elton John. Like the way that that song begins and the and the it doesn't go up as high as it does in Ham as the song in Hamilton does. But I could I definitely heard some Rocket Man in there, and like maybe some like I don't know like the Carpenters. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't figure it out, but I, I thought about it really hard. Now. Yeah, it's really definitely,
1: hard. like people have been saying, it's definitely like a 60s-influenced kind of something or other. Once again, I'm not knowledgeable enough about certain music types yeah. to be like, oh, yes, it's totally this sound. But yeah. it is he does have a very distinctly different sound than mm-hmm. everybody else does in the show. Yeah.
0: He was definitely like oh, the yeah. comedic yeah. relief of the show. Yeah, the evil yeah, relief. The, yeah, the evil, like... <laughs> Yeah. the community—the
1: community who wants to to kill all your friends and family, and yeah.
0: to remind you of his love. <laughs> yes.
2: Um, oh man, yeah,
1: yeah. I know some of those, some of those, some of those lyrics are just so clever. Mm-hmm. Don't change the subject because you're my favorite subject. Oh
2: yes, <laughs> it's gold. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of things like that. that
0: Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. it's so simple yet so brilliant. <laughs> so I saw Hamilton live and, and I, I, again, I saw Ooh. it when it came out on Disney and every time, I mean, you just keep catching these like pieces of gold that you sometimes miss. And that was one thing, mm. like there were so many things that I picked up, you know, watching it on Disney. And I was just like, Oh my, like I just have to keep watching because I, I want to make sure that I get everything. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, we're getting towards sort of like the end of our time, but before we do, I wanted to touch base a little bit on what we were talking about before we started the podcast because we discussed about while everybody is doing a lot of the Hamilton love right now, um, there's also a little bit of criticism about the show.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um.
1: Now that it's more like widely viewed and also taking into consideration, once again, we're talking about the world that we're living in now. Are there any criticisms that you guys wanted to sort of like discuss or sort of like point out their react to because Lynn manuel Miranda has said that criticism is valid yeah
2: mm-hmm. yeah and it actually is necessary right you can't make new stuff without having a sense of how people receive right. what you make and I think it's it's the mark of a strong an artist who's into the art uh whatever that art is to be able to be like hey I can do this yeah and, and <laughs> come at me y'all <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think um, the thing that strikes me about this in the time that we're in now is that there, how, who who tells your story? Right, the last line in this is also kind of an ironic line, in so much that the show is talking about these individuals uh, in in a way that that. Storycraft crafts and mythologizes, I think you said, Valerie, that like mythologizes them in a way that probably isn't helpful or healthy for us as a culture mm-hmm. trying to deal with our many, many demons. And this sort of like great man of history style I've heard people um, really have a hard time with. I think to the degree of somebody wrote a counter show wherein Lin-Manuel is like being visited by the ghosts of of past people who get left out of the show and what i think is hilarious and brilliant to like who how much hate you must have to build a whole show wow and like put the person at the center and like have these like you know women coming at him and and enslaved people coming at him be like you left Mm -hmm. us out of the story so and that's not specific to lin-manuel that's just that's specific to how we think about history and manage what has happened before we were standing here in this moment, you know? Um, but that is also to say that it doesn't necessarily help that you carry it right. on either, you know? Yeah, so. I
0: think for me, so I, I looked it up because I was really curious. And in 2016 and 2017, 86.8% of all shows on Broadway were written by white playwrights and roles filled by minority mm-hmm. actors that year actually d- dropped to 33%. It had been 35% in 2015 mm. when Hamilton came out. So, wow. In seeing in seeing the show and seeing the critiques, I completely agree that art needs to be cr- criticized. Like that is what art is for. It braces a lens to our world, to people, to human experiences, and it gives you an opportunity to feel something and and speak to what you feel mm. about That piece of art. And I think that having a cast that's predominantly people of color, it proves that they can be the stars of the show. It proves that we need more diverse writers and producers and actors. Because, like, look at what they Mm. were able to create with Hamilton. Regardless of all the critiques, Mm. it's a bombshell. So, we need to hear Black voices, we need to hear immigrant voices, the voices of women. And I think. A reason why this show was so popular is that it gives people hope that maybe Broadway can change. Maybe we can start seeing more mm. people of color and black people tell their their stories now. So there was mm-hmm. there's a there's a, uh, a documentary um, from PBS. It's called Hamilton's America, and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend. I think it's on YouTube, and it follows Lin Manuel before, like as he's writing Hamilton and opening up Hamilton on Broadway. And it's incredible because you hear from the cast, you see Hamilton writing in, in (laughs) you see Lynn writing Hamilton in Hamilton's house. And there's a really poignant part where Christopher Jackson, who's a black man, he's playing Washington, George Washington, and he visits George Washington's home, um, his plantation. And he goes into the slave quarters and he talks about not being able to reconcile with the fact that Washington owned people. He couldn't make peace with it. So you know, some parts of, of who Washington were were ugly he said. And and he can't change that. And he didn't try to portray Washington in a way that asked anyone to forgive him. And I think that was really poignant. And a lot of the actors also talked to that. So Javi Diggs, who plays Jefferson, at one point says, you know, Jefferson created the Declaration of Independence. That's an incredible piece of document. It's amazing. But Jefferson also sucked as a human being. (laughs) 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 Like, those two things are true. And I think that's a theme throughout this show is that these people did amazing things, but they were also really shitty people. They were flawed humans. Mm-hmm. They weren't these perfect mm-hmm. heroes that you read about in your history books. And I think Lin tried to show their flaws. Um, he, you know, he showed their their sins and and their arrogance and their pride mm. and their um, jealousy throughout. Because he, Lin says, you know, there are no saints in this show. Hamilton was an arrogant asshole, mm-hmm. and it is very clear. <laughs> But I think it's still, it, it's hard. It's hard to watch the show and love it and and think about, yeah, like these people owned people. So it's like, how do you how do you reconcile with mm-hmm. it? And like Christopher Jackson said, like you can't, but I think you can still love mm-hmm. the show and enjoy it and still be honest to who these people were. So I, I guess I go back to mm-hmm. what I said in the beginning and why the show is, is so powerful and beautiful for me is... It's in the actors. I don't see this, and I don't fall in love mm. with Alexander Hamilton. I don't fall in love with George Washington. I mm-hmm. fall in love with Christopher Jackson and Lin Manuel, and like you know, mm. and Leslie Odom Jr. Like these are the people. And oh my God, and Philippa So we have not talked about Philippa, who's oh yeah, who's <laughs> incredible I and. Every time She's she amazing. sings, I'm just my jaw is on the floor and I'm crying and I love her and I just wanna hug her. Yeah. So <laughs> so yeah, so that those people and yeah. those moments are, are what make Hamilton so great. And I I welcome the criticism and I think it's important to talk about it. And I think it's important to to see the whole picture here. These are multi-dimensional characters. Yeah.
2: I'm I'm totally with you, and I, I think another piece that and sort of that goes forward for me is yes, this show is holding like in the work that I do outside of the space. There's a term that we use called the essential tension, like it's the te- it's like the yes and or the either or like that the way that you're trying to hold two separate things at the same time. And if you solve that tension, if you if you resolve mm-hmm. it, those things go away, right? So like it's important to be able to hold that tension. And, like, you know, the, the story, Jeanette, that you just told about the actor, like, I could see him being that. And to me, I didn't know he was black. When I saw him, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I thought that it was all black people and, you know, and brown people in these roles. So, to me, he's a walking embodiment of what it means to not be the person you mm-hmm. would have chosen to be. Right? Like, I don't know what his family situation is.
0: Yeah. but Well, I he think he's pass.
2: biracial. He could very much pass.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And as is Debbie Dick. Yeah. They're very different biracial looks, you know? So, like, it is... And actually, I've also, I also think Flip the Sue is as well. And, like, how that, that element, I think, is really interesting. Because it's like, there's been so much talk about the show and about how brown and black the cast is. But there hasn't been as much talk about those tensions. About, like, how you could be both the descendant of the slave mm-hmm. and the descendant of the slave owner. You know, I could go on forever about that. But the thing that really uh, strikes me is that this is a point to go forward from. Not to forget the past. Obviously, it's important. But there are other shows and there are other things that are happening because of this. You know, I saw um, a a rap rom-com done in the South End here in Boston called Viet Gone, which is about um, like a Vietnamese American family and how they met during that war. Um, and the outcome of the war. And it was, it was a rap show, mm-hmm. right? Would that have gone up if Hamilton hadn't had, you know, four years of being like a bomb on Broadway and just like right. exploding people's brains? Right. Probably not. You know, it would be a lot harder for that person to do that. And also in the, um, Always mm. Be My Navy, right? The Netflix yes. rom com. Randall Park is rapping in that. The last song in the movie is the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever seen in like yeah. years, you know? Um, and that's all, I think all mm-hmm. of these things are possible because Hamilton, because of the, the risks that, that Lin-Manuel and his full team took to make the show, uh, with all of its flaws mm-hmm. and, you know, it's not the women in it are just like beautifully singing, but their pe- their roles are very minute compared right, to what's right. going on with the men, you know? So all of those issues mm-hmm. are going to stay, but I think like you're saying, Jeanette, the show is, it's gorgeous. And I think it definitely um, is is creating a space yeah. for more stuff. That's hope.
1: That's hope. Yeah. And you know what? I cannot think of a better place to end yeah. the podcast <laughs> on those comments. I have, not, I have nothing to add other than to thank you both. This was such a great conversation, and this was just amazing. So, thank you so much. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Valerie here. And on behalf of all of the Ladies of Kamikaze, we'd like to thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard, and you're interested in checking out more of our content, you can visit us online at ladiesofkamikaze.com. There you can read our blog, sign up for our newsletter. And if you're in the Boston area, learn how you can join us for our various events, including Ladies Oh, and don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again, and hope you join us next time.